Chapter Ten of the Armourers' Prentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Armourers' Prentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter Ten: Two Vocations. The smith, a mighty man, is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. Longfellow Stephen's first thought in the morning was whether the ex voto effigy of poor Spring was put in hand, while Ambrose thought of Tibble's promised commendation to the printer. They both, however, found their affairs must needs wait. Orders for weapons for the tilting match had come in so thickly the day before that every hand must be employed on executing them, and the dragon court was ringing again with the clang of hammers and the screech of grindstones. Stephen, though not yet formally bound, was to enter on his apprentice life at once, and Ambrose was assured by Master Headley that it was of no use to repair to any of the dignified clergy of St. Paul's before midday, and that he had better employ the time by writing to his elder brother respecting the fee materials were supplied to him and he used them so as to do credit to the monks of beaulieu in spite of little dennet spending every spare moment in watching his pen as if he were performing some cabalistic operation he was a long time about it there were two letters to write and the wording of thorn needed to be very careful besides that the old court hand took more time to frame than the italian current hand and even thus when dinner-time came at ten o'clock the household was astonished to find that he had finished all that regarded stephen though he had left the letters open until his own venture should have been made stephen flung himself down beside his brother hot and panting shaking his shoulder-blades and declaring that his arms felt ready to drop out he had been turning a grindstone ever since six o'clock the two new apprentices had been set on to sharpening the weapon points as all that they were capable of and had been bidden by smallbones to turn and hold alternately but that oath giles headley said stephen never ground but one lance and made me go on turning threatening to lay the butt about mine ears if i slacked the lazy lubber cried ambrose but did none see thee or couldst not call out for redress thou art half a wench thyself ambrose to think i'd complain besides he stood on his rights as a master and he is a big fellow that's true said ambrose and he might make it the worse for thee i would i were as big as he sighed stephen i would soon show him which was the better man perhaps the grinding match had not been as unobserved as stephen fancied for on returning to work smallbones who presided over all the rougher parts of the business claimed them both he sent stephen to stand by him sought out and hand him all the rivets needed for a suit of proof armour that hung on a frame while he required giles to straighten bars of iron heated to a white heat ere long giles called out for stephen to change places to which smallbones coolly replied turn about is the rule here master even so replied giles and i have been at work like this long enough ay and too long 
thy turn was a matter of three hours this morning replied kit not coolly for nobody was cool in this den but with a brevity which provoked a laugh i shall see what my cousin the master saith cried giles in great wrath ay that thou wilt returned kit if thou dost loiter over thy business and hast not those bars ready when called for he never meant me to be put on work like this with a hammer that breaks mine arm what crying out for that said edmund burgess who had just come in to ask for a pair of tongs what wouldst thou say to a big hammer that none can wield save kit himself giles felt there was no redress and panted on feeling as if he were melting away and with a dumb wild rage in his heart that could get no outlet for smallbones was at least as much bigger than he as he was than stephen tibble was meanwhile busy over the gilding and enamelling of buckingham's magnificent plate armour in italian fashion but he had found time to thrust into ambrose's hand an exceedingly small and curiously folded billet for lucas hansen the printer in case of need he would be found at the sign of the winged staff in paternoster row said tibble or if not there himself there would be his servant who would direct ambrose to the place where the dutch printer lived and worked no one was at leisure to show the lad the way and he set out with a strange feeling of solitude as his path began decisively to be away from that of his brother he did not find much difficulty in discovering the quadrangle on the south side of the minster where the minor canons lived near the deanery and the porter a stout lay brother pointed out to him the doorway belonging to master allworthy he knocked and a young man with a tonsured head but a bloated face opened it ambrose explained that he had brought a letter from the warden of st elizabeth's college at winchester give it here said the young man i would give it to his reverence himself said ambrose his reverence is taking his after-dinner nap and may not be disturbed said the man then i will wait said ambrose the door was shut in his face but it was the shady side of the court and he sat down on a bench and waited after full an hour the door was opened and the canon a good-natured looking man in a square cap and gown and cassock of the finest cloth came slowly out he had evidently heard nothing of the message and was taken by surprise when ambrose doffing his cap and bowing low gave him the greeting of the warden of st elizabeth's and the letter hum ha my good friend fielder i remember him he was always a scholar so he hath sent thee here with his commendations what should i do with all the idle country lads that come up to choke london and feed the plague yet stay that lurdane bolt is getting intolerably lazy and insolent and methinks he robs me what canst do thou stripling I can read Latin, sir, and know the Greek alphabet. Tush! I want no scholar more than enough to serve my mass. Can sing? Not now, but I hope to do so again. When I rid me of Bolt there, and there's an office under the sacristan that he might fill as well as another knave, the fellow might do for me well enough as a body servant, said Mr. Allworthy, speaking to himself. He will brush my gowns and make my bed and i might perchance trust him with my marketings and by and by there might be some office for him when he grew saucy and idle i'll prove him on mine old comrade's word sir 
said ambrose respectfully what i seek for is occasion to study i had hoped you could speak to the dean dr john collett for some post at his school boy said Allworthy, i thought thee no such fool why crack thy brains with study when i can show thee a surer path to ease and preferment but i see thou art too proud to do an old man a service thou writest thyself a gentleman forsooth and high blood will not stoop not so sir returned ambrose i would work in any way so i could study the humanities and hear the dean preach can you not commend me to his school ha exclaimed the canon this is your sort is it i have nought to do with it preaching preaching every idle child's head is agog on preaching nowadays a plague on it why can't master dean leave it to the black friars whose vocation tis and not cumber us with his sermons for ever and set every lazy lad thinking he must needs run after them no no my good boy take my advice thou shalt have two good bellyfuls a day all my cast gowns and a pair of shoes by the year with a groat a month if thou wilt keep mine house bring in my meals and the like and by and by so thou art a good lad and runst not after these new-fangled preachments which lead but to heresy and set folk racking their brains about sin and such trash we'll get thee shorn and into minor orders and who knows what good preferment thou mayst not win in due time sir i am beholden to you but my mind is set on study what kin art thou to a fool cried the minor canon so startling ambrose that he had almost answered and turning to another ecclesiastic whose siesta seemed to have ended about the same time look at this violet brother cloudsley would you believe it he comes to me with a letter from mine old friend in consideration of which i offer him that saucy lubber bolt's place a gown of mine own a year meat and preferment and lo you he tells me all he wants is to study greek forsooth and hear the dean's sermons the other canon shook his head in dismay at such arrant folly young stripling be warned he said know what is good for thee greek is the tongue of heresy how may that be reverend sir said ambrose when the holy apostles and the fathers spake and wrote in the greek waste not thy time on him brother said mr alworthy he will find out his error when his pride and his greek forsooth have brought him to fire and faggot ay ay added cloudsley the dean with his dutch friend and his sermons and his new grammar and accidents is sowing heretics as thick as groundsel wherewith the two canons of the old school waddled away arm in arm and bolt put out his head leered at ambrose and bade him shog off and not come sneaking after other folks shoes sooth to say ambrose was relieved by his rejection if he were not to obtain admission in any capacity to st paul's school he felt more drawn to tibble's friend the printer for self-seeking luxurious habits into which so many of the beneficed clergy had fallen were repulsive to him and his whole soul thirsted after that new revelation as it were which collett's sermon had made to him yet the word heresy was terrible and confusing and a doubt came over him whether he might not be forsaking the right path and be lured aside by false lights 
he would think it out before he committed himself where should he do so in peace he thought of the great minster but the nave was full of a surging multitude and there was a loud hum of voices proceeding from it which took from him all inclination to find his way to the quieter and inner portions of the sanctuary then he recollected the little pardon church where he had seen the dance of death on the walls and crossing the burial ground he entered and as he expected found it empty since the hours for masses for the dead were now past he knelt down on a step repeated the sext office in warning for which the bells were chiming all round covering his face with his hands and thinking himself back to Bewley. then seating himself on a step leaning against the wall he tried to think out whether to give himself up to the leadings of the new light that had broken on him or whether to wrench himself from it was this which seemed to him truth and deliverance verily the heresy respecting which rumours had come to horrify the country convents if he had only heard it from tibble wrymouth he would have doubted in spite of its power over him but he had heard it from a man wise good and high in place like dean collet yet to his further perplexity his uncle had spoken of collet as jesting at wolsey's table what course should he take could he bear to turn away from that which drew his soul so powerfully and return to the bounds which seemed to him to be grown so narrow but which he was told were safe now that stephen was settled it was open to him to return to st elizabeth's college but the young soul within him revolted against the repetition of what had become to him unsatisfying unless illumined by the brightness he seemed to have glimpsed at but ambrose had gone through much unwanted fatigue of late and while thus musing he fell asleep with his head against the wall he was half wakened by the sound of voices and presently became aware that two persons were examining the walls and comparing the paintings with some others which one of them had evidently seen if he had known it it was with the dance of death on the bridge of lucerne i question said a voice that ambrose had heard before whether these terrors be wholesome for men's souls for priests pouches they be said the other with something of a foreign accent alack when shall we see the day when the hope of paradise and dread of purgatory shall no longer be made the tools of priestly gain and hatred of sin taught to these poor folk instead of servile dread of punishment have a care my collet answered the yellow-bearded foreigner thou art already in ill odour with those same men in authority and though a dean's stall be fenced from the episcopal crook yet there is a rod at rome which can reach even thither i tell thee dear erasmus thou art too timid i were well content to leave house and goods yea to go to prison or to death could i but bring home to one soul for which christ died the truth and hope in every one of those prayers and creeds that our poor folk are taught to patter as a senseless charm these are strange times returned erasmus methinks yonder phantom be he skeleton or angel will have snatched both of us away ere we behold the full issue either of thy preachings or my greek testament or of our moors utopian images dost thou not feel 
as though we were like children who have set some mighty engine in motion like the great water wheels of my native home which whirled by the flowing streams of time and opinion may break up the whole foundations and destroy the oneness of the edifice it may be so returned Collet. what read we the net break even in the master's sight while still afloat on the sea it was only on the shore that the hundred and fifty-three all good and sound were drawn to his feet and returned erasmus i see wherefore thou hast made thy children at st paul's one hundred and fifty-three the two friends were passing out their latter speeches had scarce been understood by ambrose even if he heard them so full was he of conflicting feelings now ready to cast himself before their feet and entreat the dean to help him to guidance now withheld by bashfulness unwillingness to interrupt and ingenuous shame at appearing like an eavesdropper towards such dignified and venerable personages had he obeyed his first impulse mayhap his career had been made safer and easier for him but it was while shyness chained his limbs and tongue that the dean and erasmus quitted the chapel and the opportunity of accosting them had slipped away their half comprehended words had however decided him in the part he should take making him sure that collet was not controverting the formularies of the church but drawing out those meanings which in repetition by rote were well-nigh forgotten it was as if his course were made clear to him he was determined to make the means which most readily presented themselves of hearing collet and leaving the chapel he bent his steps to the row which his book-loving eye had already marked flanking the great cathedral on the north was the row of small open stalls devoted to the sale of books or objects of devotion all so arranged that the open portion might be cleared and the stock in trade locked up if not carried away each stall had its own sign most of them sacred such as the lamb and flag the scallop shell or some patron saint but classical emblems were oddly intermixed such as minerva's aegis pegasus and the lyre of apollo the sellers some middle-aged men some lads stretched out their arms with their wares to attract the passengers in the street and did not fail to beset ambrose the more lively looked at his lincoln green and shouted verses of ballads at him fluttering broad sheets with verses on the lamentable fate of jane shaw or fair rosamond the same woodcut doing duty for both ladies without mercy to their beauty the scholastic judged by his face and step that he was a student and they flourished at him black-bound copies of virgilius maro and of tully's offices while others hoping that he was an incipient clerk offered breveries missals or portuaries with the use of st paul's or of serum or mayhap st austin's confessions he made his way along with his eye diligently heedful of the signs and at last recognized the winged staff or caduceus of hermes over a stall where a couple of boys in blue caps and gowns and yellow stockings were making a purchase of a small grave-looking elderly but bright-cheeked man whose yellow hair and beard were getting intermingled with grey they were evidently those st paul's schoolboys whom ambrose envied so much 
and as they finished their bargaining and ran away together ambrose advanced with a salutation asked if he did not see master lucas hansen and gave him the note with the commendations of tibble steelman the armourer he was answered with a ready nod and yea yea as the old man opened the billet and cast his eyes over it then scanning ambrose from head to foot said with some amazement but you are of gentle blood young sir i am said ambrose but gentle blood needs at times to work for bread and tibble let me hope that i might find both livelihood for the body and for the soul with you sir is it so asked the printer his face lighting up art thou willing to labour and toil and give us hope of fee and honour if so thou mayst win the truth ambrose folded his hands with a gesture of earnestness and lucas hansen said bless thee my son methinks i can aid thee in thy quest so thou canst lay aside and here his voice grew sharper and more peremptory all thy gentlemen's airs and follies and serve by serve and obey i trust so returned ambrose my brother is even now becoming prenticed to master giles headley and we hope to live as honest men by the work of our hands and brains i forgot that you english heron are not so puffed up with pride and scorn like our dutch nobles returned the printer canst live sparingly and lie hard and see that thou keep'st the house clean not like these english swine i hope so said ambrose smiling but i have an uncle and aunt and they would have me lie every night at their house beside the temple gardens what is thine uncle he hath a post in the mene of my lord archbishop of york said ambrose blushing and hesitating a little he cometh to and fro to his wife who dwells with her old father doing fine lavender's work for the lawyer folk therein it was somewhat galling that this should be the most respectable occupation that could be put forward but lucas hansen was evidently reassured by it he next asked whether ambrose could read latin putting a book into his hand as he did so ambrose read and construed readily explaining that he had been trained at beaulieu that is well said the printer and hast thou any greek only the alphabeta said ambrose i made that out from a book at beaulieu but father simon knew no more and there was naught to study from even so replied hansen but little as thou knowst tis as much as i can hope for from any who will aid me in my craft tis i that as thou hast seen furnish for the use of the children at the dean's school of st paul's the best and foremost scholars of them are grounded in their greek that being the tongue wherein the holy gospels were first writ hitherto i have had to get me books for their use from holland whither they are brought from basel but i have had to send me from hamburg a fount of type in the greek character whereby i hope to print at home the accidents and mayhap the dialogues of plato and it might even be the sacred gospel itself which the great doctor master erasmus is even now collating from the best authorities in the universities ambrose's eyes kindled with unmistakable delight you have the accidents he exclaimed then could i study the tongue even while working for you sir i would do my best it is the very opportunity i seek fair and softly said the printer with something of a smile thou art new to cheapening and bargaining my fair lad thou hast spoken not one word of the wage 
I recked not of that, said Ambrose. Tis true I may not burthen my uncle and aunt, but verily, sir, I would live on the humblest fare that will keep body and soul together, so that I may have such an opportunity. How knowst thou what the opportunity may be? returned Lucas dryly. Thou art but a babe. Some one should have a care of thee. If I set thee to stand here all day and cry, what do you lack? Or to carry bales of books twixt this and, and Warwick in a yard, thou wouldst have no ground to complain. Nay, sir, returned Ambrose, I wot that Tibble Steelman would never send me to one who would not truly give me what I need. Tibble Steelman is verily one of the few who are both called and chosen, replied Lucas, and I think thou art the same, so far as green youth may be judged, since thou art one who will follow the word into the desert, and never ask for the loaves and fishes. Nevertheless, I will take none advantage of thy youth and zeal, but thou shalt first behold what thou shalt have to do for me, and then, if it still likes thee, I will see thy kindred. Hast no father? Ambrose explained, and at that moment Master Hansen's boy made his appearance, returning from an errand. The stall was left in his charge while the master took Ambrose with him to the precincts of what had once been the splendid and hospitable mansion of the great kingmaker, Warwick, but was now broken up into endless little tenements with their courts and streets, though the baronial ornaments and the arrangement still showed what the place had been. Entering beneath a wide archway, still bearing the sign of the bare and ragged staff, Lucas led the way into what must have been one of the courts of offices, for it was surrounded with buildings and sheds of different heights and sizes, and had on one side a deep trough of stone, fed by a series of water-taps, intended for the use of the stables. The doors of one of these buildings was unlocked by Master Hansen, and Ambrose found himself in what had once perhaps been part of a stable, and had been partitioned off from the rest. There were two stalls, one serving the Dutchman for his living room, the other for his workshop. In one corner stood a white earthenware stove, so new a spectacle to the young forester that he supposed it to be the printing press. A table, shiny with rubbing, a wooden chair, a couple of stools, a few vessels, mirrors for brightness, some chests and corner cupboards, a bed shutting up like a box, and likewise highly polished, completed the furniture, all arranged with the marvellous orderliness and neatness of the nation. A curtain shut off the opening to the other stall, where stood a machine with a huge screw, turned by a leverage. Boxes of type and piles of paper surrounded it, and Ambrose stood and looked at it with a sort of awe-struck wonder and respect as the great fount of wisdom. Handsome showed him what his work would be in setting up type and by and by correcting after the first proof. The machine could only print four pages at a time, and for this operation the whole strength of the establishment was required. Moreover, Master Hansen bound as well as printed his books. Ambrose was by no means daunted. As long as he might read as well as print, and while he had Sundays at St. Paul's to look to, he asked no more except indeed that his gentle blood stirred at the notion of acting salesman in the bookstall and master hansen assured him with a smile that will wary the other boy 
would do that better than either of them and that he would be entirely employed here the methodical master insisted however on making terms with the boy's relations and with some misgivings on ambrose's part the two since business hours were almost over walked together to the temple and to the little house where perronel was ironing under her window ambrose need not have doubted the dutch blood on either side was stirred and the good housewife commanded the little printer's respect as he looked round on a kitchen as tidy as if it were in his own country and the bargain was struck that ambrose birkenholt should serve master hansen for his meals and two pence a week while he was to sleep at the little house of mistress randall who would keep his clothes and linen in order and thus it was that both ambrose and stephen birkenholt had found their vocations for the present and both were fervent in them master headley pshawed a little when he heard that ambrose had engaged himself to a printer and a foreigner but when he was told it was to a friend of tibbles only shook his head saying that tibbs only fault was dabbling in matters of divinity as if a plain man could not be saved without them however he respected the lad for having known his own mind and not hung about in idleness and he had no opinion of clerks whether monks or priests indeed the low esteem in which the clergy as a class were held in london was one of the very evil signs of the times ambrose was invited to dine and sup at the dragon court every sunday and holiday and he was glad to accept since the hospitality was so free and he was thus able to see his brother and tibble besides that it prevented him from burthening mistress randall whom he really liked though he could not see her husband either in his motley or his plain garments without a shudder of repulsion ambrose found that setting up type had not much more to do with the study of new books than stephen's turning the grindstone had with fighting in the lists and the mistakes he made in spelling from right to left and in confounding the letters made him despair and prepare for any amount of just indignation from his master but he found on the contrary that master hansen had never had a pupil who made so few blunders on the first trial and all good well of him from such a beginning paper was too costly and pressure too difficult for many proofs to be struck off but hansen could read and correct his type as he stood and assured ambrose that practice would soon give him the same power and the correction was thus completed when will wherry a big stout fellow came in to dinner and the stall being left during that time as nobody came for books during the dinner hour and hansen having an understanding with his next neighbour by which they took turns to keep guard against thieves the master and the two lads dined together on the contents of a cauldron where peas and pork had been simmering together on the stove all the morning their strength was then united to work the press and strike off a sheet which the master scanned finding only one error in it it was a portion of lily's grammar and ambrose regarded it with mingled pride and delight though he longed to go further into the deeper revelations for the sake of which he had come here master hansen then left the youths to strike off a couple of hundred sheets after which they were to wash the types and rearrange the letters in the compartment in order whilst he returned to the stall the customers requiring his personal attention were generally late ones 
when all this was accomplished and the pot put on again in preparation for supper the lads might use the short time that remained as they would and handsome himself showed ambrose a shelf of books concealed by a blue curtain whence he might read will wary showed unconcealed amazement that this should be the taste of his companion he himself hated the whole business and would never have adopted it but that he had too many brothers for all to take to the water on the thames and their mother was too poor to apprentice them and needed the small weekly pay the dutchman gave him he seemed a good-natured dull fellow whom no doubt handsome had hired for the sake of the strong arms developed by generations of oarsmen upon the river what he specially disliked was that his master was a foreigner the whole court swarmed with foreigners he said with the utmost disgust as if they were noxious insects they made provisions dear and undersold honest men and he wondered the lord mayor did not see to it and drive them out he did not so much object to the dutch but the spaniards no words could express his horror of them by and by ambrose going out to fetch some water from the conduit found standing by it a figure entirely new to him it was a young girl of some twelve or fourteen years old in the round white cap worn by all of her age and sex but from beneath it hung down two thick plaits of the darkest hair he had ever seen and though the dress was of the ordinary dark serge with a coloured apron it was put on with an air that made it look like some strange and beautiful costume on the slender lithe little form the vermilion apron was further trimmed with a narrow border of white edged again with deep blue and it chimed in with the bright coral earrings and necklace as ambrose came forward the creature tried to throw a crimson handkerchief over her head and ran into the shelter of another door but not before ambrose had seen a pair of large dark eyes so like those of a terrified fawn that they seemed to carry him back to the forest going back amazed he asked his companion who the girl he had seen could have been will stared i trow you mean the old blackamoor saw cutter's wench he is one of those pestilent strangers an hebrew jew who worships mahound and is too bad for the spanish folk themselves this rather startled ambrose so he knew enough to see that the accusations could not both be true but he forgot it in the delight when will pronounced the work done of drawing back the curtain and feasting his eyes upon the black backs of the books and the black letter brochures that lay by them there were scarcely thirty yet he gloated on them as on an inexhaustible store while will whistling wonder at his taste opined that since some one was there to look after the stove and the iron pot on it he might go out and have a turn at ball with hob and martin ambrose was glad to be left to go over his coming feast there was latin english and alas baffling dutch high or low it was all the same to him what excited his curiosity most was the enchiridion militis christiani of erasmus in latin of course and that he could easily read but almost equally exciting was a greek and latin vocabulary or again a very thin book in which he recognized the new testament in the vulgate 
he had heard chapters of it read from the graceful stone pulpit overhanging the refectory at Beaulieu, and of course the gospels and epistles at mass but they had been read with little expression and no attention so that sunday's discourse had filled him with eagerness to look farther but the mere reading the titles of the books was pleasure enough for the day and his master was at home before he had fixed his mind on anything perhaps this was as well for lucas advised him what to begin with and how to divide his studies so as to gain a knowledge of the greek his great ambition and also to read the scripture the master was almost as much delighted as the scholar and it was not till the curfew was beginning to sound that ambrose could tear himself away it was still daylight and the door of the next dwelling was open there sitting on the ground cross-legged in an attitude such as ambrose had never seen was a magnificent old man with a huge long white beard wearing indeed the usual dress of a londoner of the lower class but the gown flowed round him in a grand and patriarchal manner corresponding with his noble somewhat aquiline features and behind him ambrose thought he caught a glimpse of the shy fawn he had seen in the morning End of chapter 10